Coming up next on The Jeff Curley Show, we're going to be talking to an international expert on the supply chain, his unique story, and his unique company just ahead. Many are predicting that the worst is yet to come, which is unfortunate, said one person here. Until now, they've enjoyed the reputation of being the nation's icebox. Watched a burglar in his home this morning by webcam. As a journalist of over 25 years, stories are what make my world turn. Reporting live from the Dallas Newsroom tonight, Jeff Crilly, Fox 4 News. But in 2008, I took the jump from my familiar life and started a PR firm from my home. We're talking about anyone with a camcorder like the one I'm using becomes a television network. We started slowly growing the company and we now have over a hundred clients and we've branched into the world of live digital broadcasting. I now own eight different TV studios and have a huge team and the stories that I now get to share are sometimes the most important of my life. Life has a funny way of coming around full circle. This is the Jeff Crilly Show. Boy, if you didn't know anything about the supply chain, we all found out about it during the height of the pandemic when everything was stuck on a ship in a port someplace and couldn't come to the U.S. Well, just as they were starting to get things uh, put back together again, we have a UAW strike, and of course the supply chain is now the lead story in everybody's newscast. To talk about that today, a very wise man, Trey Hubler. He is the co-founder of Saris Technology. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, I want to hear your journey before we get into what your company does. How long have you been in the supply chain universe? So this is my second stint within the supply chain uh, universe, as you put it. Um, I worked indirectly with the supply chain in an international real estate company. Uh, I was based here in Dallas, then Mexico City, uh, then London, Madrid, and Barcelona. Uh, there, I was in direct contact with intermodals, train stations, uh, trucking yards, because we were managing uh, a portfolio for corporate industrial sites. So flex space, big warehouses, and obviously uh, from planes, trains, and automobiles, they're being moved into those warehouses. So we would rent, lease, sell, what have you, whatever the client needed. Um, so that was my first stint within supply chain. Uh, seconds here with Saris Technology, which we founded, uh, my business partner and I, Bobby Catoli, founded in uh, the fall of 2019. All right, tell us that part of the story. How, how did you come up with this idea? Well, um, Bobby and I uh, first have been business partners for almost eight years now, uh, and I can't emphasize enough uh, the unity of partners. If you're going to tackle a problem, you two have to be in sync, two or three. Uh, we found optimal numbers, two. Um, so we had read an article uh, years ago that uh, North America was buying a tremendous amount of specialty coffee in Central America. I had lived in Central America, uh, so Bobby and I traveled down to Central America to Costa Rica, El Salvador, and we started touring coffee farms. We were purchasing high-quality coffee and then shipping it here to Dallas and selling it to local restaurants. And when we were in Central America, we would go and we would taste coffee. We'd cup coffee is the actual term. And then you would rate it as a scale of 0 to 100, similar to the Robert Parker wine scale. And uh, we would buy this coffee at an 89 scale. When it would arrive from El Salvador, it would go from El Salvador to Long Beach to Dallas. When it arrived and it was recupped or retasted and, and, uh, and scaled, uh, it dropped tremendously, uh, tremendously from 89 to 84, 80 percentile. And so we want to figure out why. Why is the degradation happening in transit? Uh, 
Um, and so we then boarded a cargo ship. And a jump to that is if it's very easy. It was, it was a bit of a task to figure out how you could become a passenger on a cargo ship, but you can't. Um, so we learned the shipping routes uh, in the Pacific. Mostly are owned uh, by European countries or Southeast Asian companies. And uh, we boarded in Mexico. We took a device. We took a bag of coffee. And we rode this ship, uh, which in essence is a 100-story rusty building laying on water. <laughs> full of containers. It's not glamorous. You have the cruise lines close to the shore because they want to they want to show shoreline and then the then the uh, the cargo ships are far out. So we rode this down for 7 days without internet with this device it's called a Raspberry Pi and we are tracking the environment of the coffee. Um, two short stories if I can on that trip. Sure. So um, the captain was Romanian. And uh, on day three of the seven-day journey, the Romanian captain came up to me and Bobby in the gym and said, uh, can I ask you a question? We said, sure. And he said, uh, do you guys work with the CIA? <laughs> and we said, uh, we said, no, why do you ask? He said, well, I, I dock in Mexico. I have two American passports come across my desk, and I'm wondering what are they doing? So we talked to him, told him what we were doing, showed him the devices and the bag of coffee, and he said, this is great. I like this plan. Come up to the captain's chair tomorrow night. You can steer the ship. Oh, that's cool. Now, <laughs> did we steer it? No, we put on autopilot. But we sat in the captain's chair. The next day, uh, there was a Filipino crewman who spoke very good English. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he says, hey, are you guys transporting drugs? And we said, why are you asking that? He said, well, you're American going to Colombia. Why are you going to Colombia? So we show him our bag of coffee, our device. After that, he thought it was amazing. So he gives us a hard hat, coveralls, and says, you can go anywhere in the ship. <laughs> so we, we hiked around the ship. We went to the engine. We went to uh, starboard side, everywhere. everywhere. Um, so we then, we then dock in Columbia. Uh, we slept for only 15 hours that day when we landed on, on land because we're not yeah. seabaring, you know, sure. seafaring gentlemen. And uh, when we woke up, we knew we were onto something. We wanted to leverage uh, our tech background, pull together a team of developers, started working with students at UTD, students at SMU, UTA, uh, UT Austin, um, and focused on building a software to track, number one, uh, the environment of a product, also where the product is, and then eventually we've evolved into a predictive platform. It's That's brilliant. We're going to pull up your website because it's, it's a beautiful website. And, and something that you mentioned to me before the show is that the kinds of data that you're bringing in is very unique. Uh, weather, traffic. Can you expand? Sure. So um, I, the website explains a tremendous amount of, of what we're doing. And um, <clears throat> we are able to pull external data. We're able to pull internal data from whatever said company, uh, and then we're able to pull uh, geopolitical data. The external data is, to your point, is focusing on weather patterns, port congestion, flight delays, road construction, uh, to tell the, the potential client who's buying a product, navigate this way, move, move the dial this way. Don't talk to this vendor because they're slow for whatever set of reason. Their internal data is a historical purchasing order. Um, all clients have it. They have to. Big pharmaceutical companies, uh, food and beverage companies. Uh, and then uh, the third component, as I mentioned, is, is uh, geopolitical data. 
Yeah, and, and geopolitical data is unique to your company, is that right? It is. Um, there are many, many competitors out there uh, within the supply chain space that focus on uh, software. Uh, what they use is historical data, uh, current trends. Um, you know, there are many platforms that have been created that are still being used and not innovative as, as we are. Um, and what we have seen is that the geopolitical components are not integrated to the level that we have, that we have uh, implemented. Sure. I want to brag about uh, Trey because he's been very busy since the UAW strike began. He's been all over the news. I heard you here on WBAP here in Dallas, but I found a clip uh, in another market. Let's go ahead and roll that. As talks between United Auto Workers and the big three automakers resume, plants in three states, including Toledo, close to home, are idled, and about 13,000 union members continue to stand up for what they feel they deserve. Because of this strike, there is going to be a tremendous backlog and slow in the supply chain. Trey Hubler, the co-founder and chief strategy officer with Cirrus Technology, a company that predicts disruptions in the supply chains, says in the end, consumers could feel the pinch in their wallets. There will be a wave of events in the future that are going to affect, number one, the prices of new cars, uh, the distribution of new cars in the sense of when are they going to be distributed. Supply chain issues for car parts that hit a huge bump in the road during COVID still haven't been fully resolved. In 2020, during the COVID crisis, there was a chip, microchip shortage. So Ford and GM alike both lost uh, a lot of revenue, potential revenue, because they could not send enough cars out into the market to be sold. Well, I think you're perfect for this, Trey, because you have a way of talking to the common man. You don't speak in geek speak, which a lot of people in technology do. Uh, you were telling me one of your favorite stories of a client you helped. Absolutely. So we have a third-party logistics company as a client of ours here based in Dallas. Uh, they move servers for telecommunications businesses. And uh, these servers, which is large as a room, possibly 12 by 12, are manufactured in uh, Asia, uh, shipped to Mexico and then brought over by truck. Um, and they, they move hands, and that's part of the problem with the supply chain. So to have tracking in real time plus predictive analytics uh, can mitigate those issues. But um, to the client's story, uh, he was moving service from Mexico, and when they arrive in Dallas, they would go into massive, massive warehouses here in the Metroplex, and they would be lost. So some possibly were lost, uh, but others possibly stolen because these have tremendous amount of, of copper and cable and wires and it's expensive. Um, so we were able to track and show in real time where the trucker was, where potentially this uh, server was because we put a device on it. Uh, and if it's supposed in the um, warehouse log says it is in this building, which they could be combined with multiple buildings, say, where is it? Track it. It, is, it was... It just it was this it was a, a problem that occurs often, sure. but a simple fix. And you can save clients literally millions of dollars when you're talking about big servers. Uh, easily, easily. Yeah. And and the larger the business, the more products they have, the more we can save. Yeah. Okay. What does a, a ideal client look like for you? You know, um, I'll highlight a client that we have now, which is in the pharmaceutical space that imports. Uh, many, many products, uh, a variety of products, many SKUs, if you know the term, uh, from Southeast Asia, from Canada, from Europe. And um, 
during the, cri the COVID crisis, uh, this company was stockpiling products in fear of what could potentially come. So they have to extend their leases on warehouses. They have to buy more product up front. So they didn't have the visibility that we provide. And so we were walking down that path with them. So to your question, they are a tremendous client because uh, they have many SKUs. Uh, they're tech uh, invested. They want to solve this problem because it's going to save them a tremendous amount of money. And we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars um, with, with uh, supply chain visibility. Absolutely. Well, in the final minute or so, uh, what would you like to leave the audience with? Um, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, I'm intrigued to fix problems. And I, I often go into sectors uh, that are not sexy. I mean, supply chain. You're talking about warehouses. You're talking about trucks. You're talking about ships, cargo ships. Um, most people are not even aware of how the supply chain affects everyday life. This table, these cameras, our jackets came through the supply chain. And let's even break it down to vaccines. Vaccines through Operation Warp Speed during the crisis was a public-private partnership with the military. And it wasn't that efficient, unfortunately. And that's really because of antiquated systems that are in place within the military. So to add technology can save lives. I'm not very, I'm not, uh, very concerned with the Amazon packages getting right on time. I'm more concerned about saving business money, working within pharmaceutical companies to get the, the necessary products to hospitals. You know, before you go, I want to give a shout out to your nonprofit that you sit on the board of, Hunger Busters. Yeah. Uh, tell us more about Hunger Busters. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So, uh, Hunger Busters is a base, is a uh, Dallas-based nonprofit. Uh, we're in West Dallas. Um, I've been on the board now for a year and a half. Uh, Latame Phillips is the current CEO, is a tremendous dynamic person, uh, truly has the intellect and the passion and the drive to serve the community. What we do is, is we are grassroots in West and Southern Dallas, uh, distributing fresh meals five days a week through the DIST school system or other charter schools uh, to give the children a third meal of the day. We also give them recipes and the sack lunches to say, hey, this is healthy eating. 7-Eleven, Cheetos, that's not good food. This is fresh bread, these are fresh meats sure. and fruits and vegetables. We actually do have a clip. Let's go ahead and roll that. Please come see what we do. so cool that you give back to the community because I, I think a lot of people are not aware of like the food scarcity where some kids this is the, their only meal is at school correct two meals a day uh, in my opinion not quality food high in saturated fats salts and sugars uh, preservatives can last for a week and they refeed or reheat um, so I I number one believe in community uh, this nation is a very individualistic nation I think communities must come together to survive. It's much easier if we feed each other than only feeding ourselves. Also, these students have tremendous talent, just not the same opportunities. So they will, with these meals, be nourished. 
move through to high school, to college, and then come work for businesses like yours, businesses like mine. Wow. So invest now instead of later when it's an, a person, a kid is an adult, and you are trying to you know, sure. navigate the business uh, sector. It's difficult. So, wow. yeah. Trey, thank you for sharing your story and your heart with us. We're going to end with the website, which is sarastech.co. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Jeff. You bet. That's it for now. We'll see you next time.